it's a real pleasure for me to, to be here today. This is not the, uh, I'm going to chance my arm here. This is not the first time I have uh, addressed a Scottish Women's Aid Conference, but it is the first time I've addressed a Scottish Women's Aid Conference as, in case you didn't know, the first woman First Minister <laughs> in the country. Before I, I go any further, can I take the opportunity uh, today, at risk of embarrassing her, to pay tribute uh, to Lily. Uh, Lily has been a powerful advocate and leader in tackling violence against women for uh, more than three decades uh, now, although she doesn't look nearly old enough for that for to be that. true. But Lily, in my view, from my perspective, has been an absolutely outstanding chief executive of Scottish Women's Aid for the last nine years, and I'm sure everybody, I know I certainly, wish you all the best for the future, Lily. There's, there's one other initial point that I want to, to make today. Violence against women, as I don't think we can tell ourselves often enough, is a global issue. Scotland is always very uh, keen to learn from good practice in other parts of the world, and we are equally keen to share our experiences and our good practice with governments and organisations beyond our borders. So I'm absolutely delighted that Professor Rashida Manju, the UN Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women, has been able to give a keynote speech at this conference. I think that uh, both places Scotland in a global context in terms of the work we're doing to tackle violence against women, but also make sure that we are hearing uh, very directly the things that we should be thinking about and challenging ourselves on in terms of doing this even more effectively in the future. What I want to do this afternoon is look uh, briefly at the specific support the Scottish Government is providing to programmes that tackle violence against women. But I also want to spend a bit more time looking to the future. And when we get into the question and answer session, I know there will be a, a range of different issues, both about current practice and experience and about things we should do in the future that you want to raise with me. But I want to look at, specifically in my opening remarks today at the possible changes to the criminal law that from today we are consulting on. Um, but before I do any of that, let me just make a, a broader point. Um, I mentioned Professor Manju a second ago, and I think it is really appropriate that at this year's conference, we have uh, Rashida here making a contribution, because this conference, of course, marks the 20th anniversary of the Fourth World Conference on Women in Beijing. I don't know if any of you caught uh, some of the documentary that was on the BBC last night looking at uh, the three female uh, US Secretaries of State, Madeleine Albright, Condoleezza Rice and Hillary Clinton, and it had some wonderful footage of the Beijing conference from 20 years ago. Uh, it was a reminder of how uh, awful the hairstyles were back then, but more importantly than that, it was a reminder uh, of just how important some of the things that were said at that conference and what flowed from that conference uh, were then and remain today. And it, it was a reminder of uh, what I thought then and uh, thought last night was a, an incredibly powerful contribution by, by Hillary Clinton. But the Beijing Platform for Women, which arose from that conference, of course set out the basic principle and the vitally important principle which also underpins the Scottish Government's strategy for tackling violence against women equally safe. Uh, violence against women is both a symptom and a cause 
of wider gender inequality across our society. So yes, we have to do everything possible to tackle violence against women, but we have to do that as part of a much broader and more comprehensive strategy because we need to achieve true gender equality in society as a whole. And I am uh, determined, and you will have heard me say this before, uh, to use whatever uh, position and influence that I have for as long as I have it as the first woman first minister of this country to make sure that the government that I lead does everything it can to advance that goal of true gender equality. Appointing a gender balanced cabinet was one way in which I chose to lead by example and I think it is something that should be a source of great pride to all of us in Scotland that we are now one of only three countries in the developed world that has gender balance right at the top of our government and that sends an important signal to some of the other actions we want to uh, see taken. I want to see greater gender equality not just in government but in boardrooms across the country, in the private sector, the public sector and the third sector. I want to see more uh, women coming into careers that historically and traditionally have been seen as careers not for women. Gender segregation is something that we need to tackle and it cuts both ways. We might have too few women coming into careers like engineering and the sciences, but we've got too few men coming into careers like childcare. We've got to tackle it from both sides. I also want us to continue and up the work we're doing to expand childcare. You know, I frequently describe childcare as essential infrastructure. Childcare is important for giving children the best start in life, and that should always be its first motivation. But if we are going to enable parents, and in particular mothers, to get back into the workplace, if they so choose, or to get into the workplace for the first time to pursue their careers and not be held back in their careers because they become mothers, then we've got to recognise the provision of good childcare as fundamental to our economy as the train services or the bus services or the roads that get them to their work in the morning. That's why I want to see it as essential infrastructure of the country. So that's what I want my government to be doing, to work to create an economy and a society where discrimination simply has no place. We've still got work to do, although we should celebrate the progress that we're making. And every single day that I am privileged to hold the office that I hold, uh, I will make it my job in words and in actions to send a message as powerfully as I possibly can to women and girls all over this country. If you're good enough and you work hard enough, nothing should hold you back. No glass ceiling should stop you from achieving your potential. And if we can not just say that, but take the action now to make that a reality for the next generation of women, then we'll be succeeding in a way that no government in the past has. Um, Margaret Thatcher, who's the only other woman to uh, be in a position of leadership across these islands, uh, motivated me into politics, not in the way she would have wanted, but nevertheless was one of the inspirations for me to get involved in politics back when I was just a, a teenager. Uh, and I remember, I was only nine when Margaret Thatcher became Prime Minister, but even although she politically uh, stood for everything I disagreed with, I, I still remember the sense as a wee girl of significance of the fact that we suddenly had a woman Prime Minister, and yet she did nothing absolutely nothing to help other women 
get on. Well, I want to be completely different to that, and I hope I can prove that over these next week. So, that ambition of gender equality is one that I know all of us share. But to come back to the issue of violence against women, we must be clear, we will not achieve gender equality until we deal effectively, once and for all, with violence against women. As long as that remains widespread, then no matter what other progress we make, we will be failing in our duty to promote and achieve gender equality. You know, last year, 60,000 incidents of domestic abuse were recorded in Scotland. Four out of five of them had a female victim and a male perpetrator. Now, these figures are, you know, shocking in and of themselves. But what is more shocking is that they don't cover, they perhaps don't even come close to covering all violence against women. Uh, they simply cover domestic abuse cases. And the Scottish Crime and Justice Survey suggests that perhaps only around a fifth of domestic abuse cases are actually reported to the police. So domestic abuse, we can say without a shadow of a doubt, has a devastating impact on tens and quite possibly on hundreds of thousands of women across the country. It also has a deep and a often lasting impact on the children of these women. That's why this government has increased funding for programmes which seek to tackle the problem by 60% over the last eight years. We're spending more than £2 million a year on the Caledonian system. It's now available in 13 local authority areas. It helps to challenge and change the attitudes of men who commit abuse and it also provides really essential support and advice for women and children who are affected. So we are uh, investing where we can as much as we can, but I recognise and I stand here today and readily recognise that we have more work to do and I look forward to hearing in a comprehensive way the feedback from this conference because it will be important in informing our decisions as a government about how we do even further. So all of that work is hugely important, but today as I said earlier on, I want to focus on the consultation that we've launched today on whether the current law on domestic abuse and sexual offences should be clarified and strengthened. Uh, and I would take the opportunity, if I, if I may, to encourage all of you to respond. The deadline for responses to the consultation is the 19th of June, and the people gathered in this room right now have got a wealth of experience to bring to bear. So please, please look at that consultation and let us have your views. What it's seeking uh, are views on a range of measures, but today I want to highlight two of the measures in it in particular. The first is the non-consensual sharing of intimate images, which is colloquially known as revenge porn, where people frequently ex-partners make private pictures or videos available to the wider world. Uh, the report that Scottish Women's Aid published last year highlighted, I thought very powerfully, the impact that revenge porn can have. Uh, most people who responded to the survey, survey suffered long-term uh, harm and anxiety. Some spoke of committing self-harm and having suicidal thoughts. And, and many worried about the impact on their jobs, their personal relationships, and, of course, on their children. Non-consensual sharing of images is now a criminal offence in a number of countries, Australia, Germany, several states in the US, and in England and Wales. So we believe, I believe, there is a very strong case for introducing a new offence here in Scotland, which would also cover not just the sharing of these images, but also the threat of sharing these images, because often it's the threat of it that does the harm even before you get to the actual sharing. And, you know, where we've got 
new crimes that are made possible by new technology, and that's what this is. It's really important that we keep the law under review so that the law is equipped to deal uh, with the emerging problem. And the second issue uh, the consultation is looking at is whether we should create a specific new criminal offence of domestic abuse. It's widely recognised, as it should be, that domestic abuse isn't always violent and it isn't always explicitly threatening. Domestic abuse can include behaviour like withholding money, which we were just talking about before we came in, or preventing somebody from seeing their family or their friends. And the problem we have just now is that that kind of thing doesn't always fall clearly within the scope of the existing criminal law, but it is still part of a pattern of abuse. So a new criminal offence would potentially clarify the criminality and the unacceptability of coercive and controlling behaviour. And in doing that, it could encourage more victims to speak out and help us to reduce the number of cases of abuse. I think it's a potentially very sensible and very powerful change that we could make that would make a real difference to the lives of women across Scotland. That said, we know that defining domestic abuse in law might be challenging, so we need to ensure that the legislation commands wide support, that we've anticipated and avoided possible unintended consequences, and that any change will allow us to prosecute the people who perpetrate these crimes. What I'm saying now is that if we can get that consensus on what we need to do, my intention and my preference is to legislate in this parliament. But if we need to go further with stakeholders to achieve that consensus, to get it absolutely right, we'll do that. And in those circumstances, I would be committed to legislating as soon as possible in the next parliament after the Scottish Parliament election in 2016. Either way, what we want to do is make it clear that ongoing coercive and controlling behaviour is unacceptable and that those who commit these crimes will face justice. I know that changing the law on its own isn't enough. It's never enough. Uh, but it is an important part in a wider package of social and cultural changes, and I think we need to uh, do that. So I'm aware of tightness of time, and I do want to take some questions before I leave here today. But uh, I began my remarks talking about the uh, Beijing conference and, uh, and Hillary Clinton, and I think the speech that Hillary Clinton gave at that conference uh, contained the statement repeated over and over again that should continue to be the statement that underpins everything we do today. And she said, human rights are women's rights and women's rights are human rights. Ending violence against women is part of creating a country that respects human rights, not just in words, but in deeds. It's fundamental to building a truly equal society and it is, in my view, essential to creating the kind of Scotland we want to live in. So that's why this conference, I think, is so important. It's why the Scottish Government, and I give you this absolute pledge today, is committed to supporting you as much as we possibly can. Uh, and it's why I look forward so much to continuing to work with you in the months and years ahead. Thank you very much indeed.